Well, it was nice to have a little bit of a return of live sports last night, wasn't it, Tim? We got the last dance on ESPN. I and I think it delivered all the way, and even a little splash of Syracuse in there as well. You know, so we're recording this after the last dance, uh -huh. and I wish I texted you this earlier because I want to have the receipts out there now. But I was gonna say, hey. Why don't we wait until after the last dance? Because we know there's going to be some stupid Syracuse scene in there. And if we do it before, we're going to be pissed off that we didn't wait because there's going to be something important in there that we're going to have to discuss. Alas, Michael Jordan shot in the Carrier Dome once upon a time. So for those of you out in uh, Orange Nation that are losing your minds over that, I hope you relished in that moment. That was kind of cool to see. I know Syracuse Twitter went bonkers. Yeah. Tim, I think you're a little triggered by this. I triggered is harsh. I mean, it's just, it was two seconds of him. Like, <laughs> I, I don't know. I guess. I think it was a little more than two seconds. Okay, two seconds, five seconds, eight seconds, whatever it was. I guess it's quarantine time and we're looking for any sort of positivity. I'm all for the carrier. I mean, hey, you know, I'm I'm not against it. I just didn't think it was worth uh starting a tweet storm about. But Twitter was active tonight. And you know what? It was good to have Twitter active for the first time really since it was March 11th when the sports world kind of stopped there and there was Rudy Gobert and everything. So, it felt like a sense of normalcy watching that doc even though it was not a live sporting event. It was fun. Full disclosure, and you're going to hate me for this, oh, no. when the Dome showed up on the dock, I was like that, who is it, Leonardo DiCaprio meme that's going around where he's pointing at the TV. I was like, <laughs> that's the Carrier Dome right there. Oh, like, man. that was me. You were that guy. So, so uh, happy I wasn't watching with you, or otherwise some tempers may have flared. Anyway, we got lots to get to. We'll even get to a little bit of a last dance ending to today's show i put something out on twitter that yeah i think a lot of people really enjoyed but it was the question posed was again the bulls had this camera crew with them for that entire 98 season if you could go back and have a camera crew with an entire season's worth of film of syracuse basketball for one season which season would you pick so we'll we'll read the best answers from that in our final segment Got a little bit of basketball recruiting stuff that we'll hit off the top, and we'll also start, because it's draft week, we're going to start our player profiles for all the Syracuse players heading into Thursday's NFL draft. So we'll get one each day of that. So um, let's dive into some basketball recruiting stuff here. Frank Anselm, who is a four-star forward from the class of 2021, is no longer in the class yeah. of 2021. He is going to reclassify down to 2020 and is expected to make his choice by the end of the month, but he has now included Syracuse in the mix after deciding to reclassify to this 2020 class. And he's throwing the Orange's name in with about 15 other schools. He did have a top three once upon a time with Alabama, LSU, and Georgia, all of those schools really have been getting some good recruits lately. Alabama, new regime with Nate Oates. LSU, Will Wade, he's making strong you-know-what offers <laughs> according to the scheme. And Georgia with Tom Crean. So there's going to be a battle for him. But Anselm, this guy's 6'10". He could be a real game record down low for this Orange team. Yeah, I mean, he's a tantalizing product and a tantalizing prospect for sure. He's 6'10". He is slender, but, you know, that's... He's all. got length, too. He, he has tons of length. He's a 7'5 wingspan. He would 
fit great into the anchor position of the zone. And honestly, I think he could maybe start right away if he did come. But the the whole thing here is, and I think we kind of t- touched on this a little bit with Matt Harms when it first became some interest and fans started to get really excited about him is we have no intel here that Syracuse is on any sort of short list. In fact, this is a kid right. who's from Georgia and he listed Georgia, LSU, and Bama in his initial top three. Syracuse is kind of late to the party, so to speak, here, but now he's a 2020 guy. He said he's reopening his recruitment. But you got to think it's going to be tough for Syracuse to land a kid from Georgia who, by all accounts, has never visited SU and would probably have no reason to go all the way up there coming from the Georgia area. And then especially right now, given what's going on in the world and the lack of ability to make a trip to Syracuse currently, and he's deciding within a month. So I'm not too optimistic that he's coming to Syracuse because he's a big and they haven't done a great job developing bigs. And also, frankly, if we really want to just cut right to the heart of this, it looks like (laughs) Bama, LSU, and Georgia, that's three teams that maybe are going to give him an actual offer here and and they're going to pay some money for his services. (laughs) And I don't know if Syracuse is going to do that. And there's, there's some good teams too. Kansas just offered him Oregon, Maryland's I mean, Maryland, we talked about him, yeah. Yeah. And and they've done a great job developing big men. So that that's certainly a team that is interesting. Uh, I think it's also important that you brought up the fact that he is not going to make a visit to Syracuse by the time he's supposedly going to make his decision by the end of the month just because of everything that's going on. And if you reflect back to our conversation with Ben Burroughs when we did our recruiting roundup with him, he said Syracuse generally doesn't even like to do that with kids yeah. anyway. So now this year might be an exception to the rule sure. in some sort of regard. But I think, too, I mean, you mentioned he's a Georgia kid. And when you're a Georgia kid, you've got that SEC flair to you. And the football, again, football doesn't bring a basketball recruit in. But when you grow up in those kind of environments, like maybe you do want to go to an SEC school. I mean, you're looking at three of the best SEC football programs there, but you're also looking at three programs that are on the up and up in basketball. I mean, LSU is turning itself into a perennial tournament team. Alabama's on the right track. Georgia's got a a coach that can certainly help it. And I mean, we know the the whole Tom Crean deal. I mean, he he lauds the fact that he coached Dwayne Wade once upon a time. So now he's got that, that's all important. Right, yeah. exactly. So he could have a number one pick, uh, an, another Hall of Famer on his ballot as well. And then he's also got those experiences with Indiana, Victor Oladipo. I mean, all those guys. I mean, Christian Watford is a legend in Bloomington. Those are recruiting <laughs> yeah. pitches. And, and this isn't to say that Syracuse doesn't have a recruiting pitch, but they don't have the recruiting pitch to him that, hey, you can stay home and be a part of building something here. Like Syracuse is an established thing, is an established program. Whereas a kid like Anselm, who knows what he wants to do. But again, you look through all of these schools, I'd say Syracuse is the biggest basketball program. Now I'm not saying they're the best team amongst these, well, but outside program of Kansas, wise, they've got the most. Kansas well, yeah, just entered. Yeah, because yeah. Kansas. I'm looking at a graphic pre-Kansas. Right. So you're right, Kansas would be number one, but number two in terms of clout is definitely Syracuse. Yeah. My thinking is, though, it's tough for Syracuse to land a big right now for a couple reasons, and one of them being they just haven't had a great recent track record there. 
and they don't have anyone that's coaching the center position that was a former big man. Like, take Georgetown, for example. Now, this kid isn't looking at Georgetown. I know that's a team that a lot of fans are going to, you know, have bad thoughts immediately on. But, like, they have Patrick Ewing, and that's great for a big man. That gets you there. He brought up when he was talking about LSU, and I I don't think he's going to go to LSU just based on the centers they've acquired recently, and it seems like they don't really have as much of a pressing need for a center, at least in 2020, as opposed to 2021. But he brought up Shaq when he was, you know, saying his pitch. I think it was in an article on Stock Risers. And Sharif's there now, too. Right. And son, so. Yeah, I mean, like, there's legacy there. And I know Syracuse has Derek Coleman and guys like that. And so maybe I'm kind of contradicting my point by seeing recently and and adding that he brought up Shaq, but I do think it's really hard for Syracuse to get a big right now because Alan Griffin is coaching the bigs, and they haven't had any success really developing bigs, and it doesn't seem like it's an offense recently that's been predicated on throwing the ball down low to bigs like maybe we've seen from Big Ten teams or even a little bit SEC play. And you think of some of the recent guys that have come through the SEC, like Nas Reed. I mean, he was getting the ball a lot at LSU. So I know this is all just speculation, but I would find it hard for a guy like this to go to Syracuse, which is a shame because this is the exact type of guy they need for next year's team and beyond to get back to the level that Syracuse basketball was once at, which is bringing in bigs like Raheem Christmas and Fab Mello and the rest of them. And I do think he's an elite rim protector shot blocker rebounder right away and he's got offensive potential he's got skill offensively his jumper's not smooth by any means but you know he'd have to work on his post moves and stuff but i think he comes in with more offensive potential than anyone else on the syracuse roster yeah you look at the metrics on him he's about as perfect as they come for a syracuse center but again the orange only throwing their names in the hat for now we'll see if they make any sort of shorter list with Frank Anselm, four-star forward slash probably could play center a little bit as well. All right, coming up next, we'll begin our NFL draft previews, and it's going to start with Sterling Hoffrichter, the punter who we spoke with earlier on this program. We'll talk about him next. So we start off our NFL draft preview with Sterling Hoffrichter, who I think you and I are both in agreement, Tim. Not not a knock against or a slight against any of these other players that are going out there and entering their name for Syracuse, but I think you and I are both in the camp that Sterling Hoffrichter probably going to have the longest career of any of these players entering the draft. And I think that's more of the... The nature of football, because, I mean, look at some of these other players that are entering. You're talking about receivers and defensive ends. I mean, the shelf life on those positions is not long. Punter can be long, especially if you hit it right away and and you lock yourself in with a team. I mean, you see guys all the time who are lifebloods with these teams. And, I mean, if a team finds a punter and they get the job done... They don't want to part with them. No. Okay? That's just that's just the way it is. And Hoffrichter is definitely in an interesting situation as well, especially as more and more teams start to move towards the Dome Stadium. I, I just looked this up. Ten teams entering uh. next season, whenever next season may start, 
play in a dome, and that's including the new Vegas Raiders yeah. Stadium that's set to open next year, I believe. Um, so yeah, it's it's certainly something that maybe favors Hoffrichter because he punted in a dome. Now, again, I think not that it necessarily hurts him that much. It's not like he's it's not like he is a guy who didn't punt outside at all. I mean, he punts outside in practices. He punts outside when he goes on the road and plays against some of these other teams. But this could be something like, hey, this guy made a living off of punting in a dome. And maybe that could be a a big thing. And even when we spoke with him, he said a couple of dome teams were the ones that were really in contact with him. Yeah, I think the Falcons were one of those for sure. And the Lions were the other. Right. It'd be cool if maybe he got... Tampa, just based on the Brady stuff and then kind of his location down there, relatively close to Tampa and Florida. But who knows? I I think, obviously, he'd be happy wherever he goes. Maybe we're biased because he came on the podcast, but I do agree with you, I think. Listen, we can be bought, right? Like, we can be (laughs) bought like that. For sure. And for any advertisers listening out there, we'll repeat that. We can be bought. But I I do think he (laughs) he has potential to have the longest career here and I don't expect him to get drafted and I don't think you should either if you're listening because he's rated as kind of the fifth or sixth best punter in this class and that's just Mm -hmm. what you know very few punters get drafted it's hard to get drafted as a punter doesn't mean he's not going to get picked up right away as an undrafted free agent and likely make an NFL roster in my eyes because it's hard to find a good punter and like you said once you've got a good punter you've got to kind of keep them because of the reason that it's hard to get one. So I think Hoffrichter has a great chance to be a good NFL punter from what we've seen from Riley Dixon. He's kind of followed in Riley Dixon's footsteps to this point by having basically as good of a career as you could at Syracuse. Shattered records, shattered Riley Dixon's records, you know, was an All-American his senior year. And honestly, I think should have won the Ray Guy Award for best punter. So that that guy's an NFL punter. Like Dino Babers has said that at times this past season and throughout his career that, you know, he's gone out of his way in press conferences to say Sterling is an NFL punter. And I just hope he gets a chance because I do feel like he could kind of continue this legacy for Syracuse. And then all of a sudden, you know, they got another good one coming in next year, I think, in James Williams. But not that punter you is the best thing to be known as, but it's something and it's underrated probably to have a good punter. Yeah, and I don't know how much scouts put stock in this, but amongst this list of 10 punters that I'm looking at that are in Dane Brugler's The Beast, which if you haven't checked that out, go look look at it on The Athletic because it's free right now, and this is premium content right here that you are getting for a whopping price of $0.00. Um, but he is one of two punters that is listed under six feet. And I don't know how much stock yeah. scouts are putting into that, but that could be a reason maybe he's dropping a little bit. But at the end of the day, I mean, you, you've seen him put his leg in, into it, right. too. And he can pin you. He can send you deep. So I, I think with, with Hoffrichter, he's going to find a home. You and I are both in total agreement that that is going to happen at some point in, in this process. And it seems like it could be with a team that is in search of, for a punter as well so he could step in and he could start day one and I think you and I are both in agreement that he has the best chance to start on day one yeah amongst all these guys so 
We'll look at a number of these players these next couple of days because the NFL draft coming up quickly on Thursday. And again, we got this last dance, which felt like live sports. The NFL draft is going to feel like live sports again this upcoming week and weekend. So seems like everything's kind of turning up in the sports world. But after this last dance, things done and things might dry out a little bit. Yeah. Sterling Hoffrichter. Certainly uh, a, a good prospect for the Orange heading into this upcoming draft. He is, and I'll just quickly add that, you know, Sterling is one of those players that I think will we took for granted a little bit, and maybe that's easy to say because he's coming off the heels of Riley Dixon. So, like, we've just had a great punter for a while. And like I said, I do think James Williams, and they'll be fine there for the foreseeable future, I think. But there was never any point in his entire Syracuse career which was five years four years punting where it was like ah dang it Sterling like what what was that you know like yeah that's pooched one that's pretty hard to do I mean I know it's punter and there's less opportunities to kind of mess up than say quarterback or left tackle or something but like that Clemson game was probably brightest lights this year for him and I thought that was his best game of his career. Like, ABC, it didn't matter. He yeah. just, like, went out there, kind of like Andre Smith. Like, they have had a great special teams, and special teams is something you take for granted, and he'll be missed for sure, and obviously we wish him the best, A, because he came on our podcast, but B, because he gave us some good memories at Syracuse, too. Yeah, absolutely. And, hey, he forced a fumble, too, and he can be a kickoff specialist. So, <laughs> yeah. boom, you, you got he plays all three phases for you, so we just got to see the offense now. Maybe uh, pick up a few tips from Riley Dixon, but call the fake for him, all right? Yeah, Whichever really? NFL team picks on, him up, Dino. call the fake for him, all right? <laughs> what was that Fakes all for about? Sterling. <laughs> yeah. Um, coming up next, we will go through your responses from which Syracuse basketball team you want to see with a full camera crew a la The Last Dance. That's coming up on the other side on Locked on Syracuse. So The Last Dance, it was a hit, wasn't it? I mean, that's what Twitter's saying. Yeah. That's what Twitter's saying. It, it was a hit. And uh, we all can't wait for next Sunday as well. So we decided to throw the question out. Which Syracuse basketball team, in all of its history, would you want a camera crew to follow just like The Last Dance did with the 97-98 Bulls? We got some great responses on Twitter, and we'll get to our answers as well. All right, so... Do you want to? How do you want to do this? Do you want to read their responses first? You want to go your responses? Uh, let's read their how, responses. How are we doing this? The people. Right, were, we're, yeah, yeah, we're a people's podcast. Right. <laughs> um, so I'm gonna go through a bunch of them. Obviously, we got a lot of feedback saying the '03 team, the national championship. You want to know what my take on that is? If you want to see the '03 team and, and like with the camera crew, just just go watch Hoosiers or something. Like go watch a Disney movie because that is how that stuff yeah. ends. Okay, you want to see that? Just go go watch a Disney movie. I, I right? kind of Cause... am pro '03. Let me just step in real quick before okay. we get to some of go these people it. responses because they were great. the The thing about '03 is it would have the most rewatchability. Like right now. If it had come out 10, 12 years ago, it'd be great to go back and rewatch it right now because they go all the way and it's Carmelo and it's like the most storied season. It's like, wow, of all the seasons, like they captured that and it's Syracuse at its peak and like Bayheim getting to the top and everything. So I feel like that, and also they were just funny in that chat. 
and maybe you'd get yeah. a little more insight into like Julie Beheim and how she kind of changed Coach Beheim. I know that's obviously like a narrative around the season. So I don't know. I'm I'm not against 03. I, I wouldn't say it's like watching Hoosiers. I mean, I, I get what you're saying a little bit, but it'd be cool to have the championship. I guess Hoosiers season. is kind of a bad example, but like you get you get the gist. Like yeah. it's, it's a team. It's a, it's a Disney movie. Um, <laughs> and that, I don't want to see that. I want to see a little heartbreak in there. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. That's we've fair. got 2010, the Nova game to go number one, riding highs all season, then the Arinze Onowaku injury and Butler heartbreak. That was the best team. That's from at Eric Billich. And see, he, he Eric's like me. He wants to see a little heartbreak in there, right? Yeah. Get a little stabbing. I get toy it. Toy with the heartstrings a little bit. Yeah. Someone uh, responded to that, Morgan at MTJish and said, I remember the night they lost to LeMoyne. I kept thinking we would be in for a long season. I was wrong. Great team. That's a good point. That's a good season. I I hadn't connected yeah. those dots, really, and you do forget about that. And that would be cool because it would start out with the LeMoyne loss, and then you'd get, like, Beheim because that legend has it, that kind of became the game that was like, all right, we're going 2-3 zone the rest of the way because they played man that night. And... It'd be just interesting to see Bayheim, like maybe chatting with the coaches, like we can't play man, like my, you know, let's let's stick with the zone here. It's gotten us this far. I don't know, like maybe there weren't those discussions, but that would be interesting. Yeah, another popular one was the '87 season with Keith Spar. I mean, you want to talk about tugging at the heartstrings? <laughs> There's one for you right, right. there. Um, That'd be tough. 2012, to watch back. 2012 with Fab Mello. That's certainly an interesting one. Yeah. Um, you got all that drama. Yeah, that was another pop. That actually may have been the, the most popular that one. That came to my mind behind. first. I think we were yeah, texting that, about that. And Yeah. I I mean, obviously that's the greatest what-if season in Syracuse history. I don't know. I mean, the Fab Mello stuff would be interesting because that's what I think would be cool with this stuff. And I know we were sort of talking about this, like, the Frank Howard thing recently. Now, I'm not advocating for that season because it's just kind of an average season. Like, they were an eight seed and lost and whatever. Not a ton noteworthy from that season. But if you could go inside a one-on-one chat with Jim Beheim and Frank Howard after the suspension came down or Tyus Battle finding out about the news that Frank Howard got the suspension, like, that's the stuff I would really want. The behind-the-scenes stuff where something weird happens and honestly that's happened a lot to Syracuse basketball so there's a lot of seasons to choose from right I think that's a good one um yeah and another thing that I am considering amongst all this is like for last season some of those tapes probably exist like we are in the digital age now where you've got videographers following this that and the other I mean you see the the ESPN Plus specials with Duke, with Memphis, and all those. Like, there are teams that do this just regularly now. Like, this is the new normal, almost, it feels like. So, that's why I kind of think it'd be cool to have one. I don't know when exactly the digital turn is that we're looking at in terms of this is when this kind of became normal, where you've got camera crews with you at all times. And, I mean, you, you see the the influx of people with those neon yellow bands at games who always have the camera around with them so i think that's that's another right. cool factor to bring into this one something that i saw this tweet 
come at us, and this is from at Mighty underscore LR. It said the 2016 Final Four run. And my initial reaction to that was, all right, that's a crock of recency bias there. But then I started to think about it. Like, that That'd would be, be kind of cool. You go, yeah. you go, you beat Duke at Cameron. You also go and you make this miracle run. Like, I want to see Bayheim at halftime of the Virginia game. And I know he's kind of talked about some of the things that he said. I think Matthew Gutierrez talked about how the um, he basically told the team, listen, we're going to see what you're made of in the second half. And boom, Malachi Richardson showed them what <laughs> what he was made of. So that was a. I started to think about that and said, you know what? All right, 2016 or yeah, 2016. I'll allow it. I think that's a valid one. Yeah, I like that too. You know, it'd be and the remember that year too. The bracket got leaked. Oh, that's so. I guess that's another whole little wrinkle into that story. So, hmm, maybe 2016 is a really good one. But again, 2016, the tapes kind of exist. I bet one that uh, didn't really get mentioned is the 06 Big East tourney run and like maybe 09 too with that 6 OT game I will say though the tough part about that stuff is like there's there's a lot out there on that 6 OT game a lot of people have asked Bayheim about that and a lot is going to be made probably in the future I mean there might even be not a 30 for 30 but like something I know we always joke about how everyone labels this is going to be a 30 for 30 down the road yeah but people are premature to hit the 30 for 30 they are button. it's funny uh but i i do think you would want something that you would have the ability to acquire some intel that you didn't already know in 2016 right. final four would maybe cover that a little bit because it's kind of a topsy-turvy season you get to see Bayheim at his angry points you get to see Bayheim at his happy points and just like the coaching dynamics like obviously the press was so big for that run and when they opted to use it i'd love to know at half they won bahamas too yeah that year that's also. true well, i'm starting to think yeah so oh, bahamas, and that's the, like you get all the inside the stuff hopkins of that. year right where he coaches right yeah man i think this you know, is 2016 might be a winner yeah all right and these tapes definitely exist right i gotta I kinda say like that so shout shout out to you um at, at mighty underscore lr like that was a good one yeah and i i think that i i've turned my opinion on that very very heavily yeah i think 2016's a winner hop was there any recruits that year i'm trying to think that'd be cool too if it was like ah, i thought we were getting that i guess you well that was battle had committed to michigan and then yeah. flipped at some point right that's the matt moyer thompson commits late mm-hmm. so you Torian wouldn't really thompson, get that yeah yeah right so so yeah there's there's that as well to throw in a whole nother wrinkle to to that thing Uh, a couple other answers uh i want to get to here someone throw in how about jim Beheim's freshman year um (laughs) that would be a good one yeah what's yours um i I think it's 2016 final four um you talked yourself into it yeah i was going (laughs) to say fab mellow uh 2012 because i do think as jamie reiner said or rainer uh the fab mellow ordeal at the end was was you know that's that would be interesting to sort of see that come out layer by layer and what was going through everyone's mind but 2016 i mean that what put it over the edge for me is hopkins coaching those guys and like yeah. Bayheim watching the game from his couch, I mean, they'd probably have 
some footage of him like yelling at Hop from his living room. Like, what do you like? Tell him to get out here because he couldn't do anything. Remember, you know? Wow. He, he, yeah. I think that's a 2016's a winner. Yeah. 26. Oh man, I'm about to. I might flip on my own answer. Yeah. My okay. So 2016 is my winner. My my follow up to that is going to be the 2013 2014 season that's where you start out 25 and 0. Uh, you get the miracle shot against Pitt. Although I will say. I'm not as interested in the games themselves because, again, those tapes are very, very <laughs> readily available. Sure. You can watch them uh, on YouTube or whatever. But I want to see – I've always been interested with the psyche of a team that goes on a long, long winning streak. Yeah. And what happens? Do do habits start to form? or What, what is a locker room like when you're on a 25-game winning streak? Also, right? you'd get I have the, always found that fascinating. Those two iconic – Duke games and the Bayheim block charge, throw the jacket, yep. teed up at mm-hmm. half court. Just maybe yeah. some interaction with him and Coach K and stuff. I don't know. I mean, that's that's a and good just one. the whole transition to the ACC as true. well. Very. I'm true. sure. I mean, you're yeah. talking about different. Like these guys are going to different venues for the first time. Yeah, this is a, a completely different schedule that they are playing from a season ago. So I think that might be interesting, like Bayheim trying to go find different places to eat and stuff like that, and then I get my heartbreak in there, and you get the the Dayton loss in the NCAA yeah. tournament. I guess the one thing with 2016, there really isn't heartbreak. Like Final Four is house money, right? For oh, a team that was especially for that team, totally. Yeah, yeah. So you don't get your heartbreak element there, but. The, the rest of it is really good stuff. Another layer to 2016 here before we wrap up is maybe, I don't know if they'd add this in the hypothetical doc, imaginary doc we're talking about, but like Malachi Richardson's conversations with Coach Beheim after that, should he go, yeah. should he not, that could be somewhat interesting because I'm always fascinated by that and how coaches view that stuff. And I'm sure it's pretty predictable that Beheim was like, hey, do what's best for you probably like most coaches should be, but I, I'm telling you, 2016, I'm completely convinced now. I That was a, a great suggestion, I, and I was right with you. Recency bias was my first thing, but and some people are probably screaming that, but I don't know. The Hopkins stuff really would be fascinating. I think we laid it out well yeah. for, for the folks at home on that one. All right, so last dance. If you can't get enough, check out the Rejecting the Screen pod, a part of the Locked On Podcast Network. They're breaking down everything last dance, okay? So go check them out. Also check out the Locked On NFL Draft podcast because they're going to be churning out plenty of content all week long because guess what, Tim? It's draft week, which Mm -hmm. for everyone out there in in college football heaven right now, this is their Christmas week. And NFL heaven. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, this is Christmas. And honestly, for people who haven't seen a live sporting event in ages now, it feels like, I mean, this is heaven right yeah. now. I mean, I'd watch a cricket match, right? <laughs> that, that's the point I'm at, all right? Well, I, that, would be I've first. hit this spot. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so, yeah, thanks so much for checking out today's episode. We will be back tomorrow. We're going to have our second NFL draft preview. It'll be Kendall Coleman, and we'll also get to some more 
uh, basketball recruiting stuff because there is some stuff that we did not get to today. But check out those other podcasts and check out all of our previous podcasts as well, including our conversation with Sterling Hoffrichter from a couple weeks ago because that was good stuff as we now creep closer and closer to draft week here on the Locked On Syracuse podcast. For Tim, I'm Tyler. We will talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow.